Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Hello, everyone. We are back with part two of our episodes on speakeasies in Scranton. We're still here with Jenny. Hello. And today I will be going over stories that I found interesting from the newspapers. And so this will be a lot of me reading the articles pretty straightforward. Okay. Not all of them, but... A good number. Okay. Just because they were either dramatic or had interesting phrasings or gave an actual account. Okay. Um, Because newspapers back in the early 1900s loved to put in quotes. Okay. And they sound like a story. Mm. So should I give you a cue when I want to interrupt you? Like... Yeah, or you can fingers or or just or just say something. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And many of these stories just show the level of detail and how pervasive the raids on speakeasies and the different things that happened during Prohibition in Scranton Mm. were. Okay. There's an article titled, Hotel Men Aghast as Cops Raid One Secret Precincts and Spill Booze into Gutters, published on February 22nd of 1923. Raids often made the front page of the newspaper, and especially if there was more than one. In this article, 14 places were shut down. It also indicated that Mayor John Durkin's crusade to make Scranton dry is not being made effectively. Eight hotels were raided, and they were located in North Scranton. Mm. One was in the flat section, and the other four were in South Scranton. Mm. 25 patrolmen made up the group that closed down the hotels under the direction of Captain Rose. Sergeant Walter Keim and Sergeant David McCrone. I found it interesting that one of the patrolmen, Jack McCloskey, who I briefly mentioned in the last episode... Went around on a motorcycle. He was a motorcycle policeman. Oh, okay. So I found that fun for 1923. Definitely. And he was often referred in the papers as motorcycle patrolman. <laughs> How obvious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they went around. They checked candy stores, former saloons, what? grocery stores, pool rooms, and cigar emporiums to try to find suspected speakeasies. Mm. The paper stated that hundreds of people flocked to the streets to witness the sight of good beer flowing down gutters. Places raided included the Royal Inn, the Beaver Club on what? West Market Street Whoa. in former saloons that they didn't give the names of. Right. And they said that all the alcohol confiscated got poured into the gutter. This is the first article I'm going to read. It was published in the Scranton Times on March 9th of 1926, and it gave the names of a variety of establishments. Okay. And I just find the names great. Well, so far, that was a beaver what? The Beaver Club. The Beaver Club. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This article is titled, Broken Back is Due for Raid if Police Can Find It. Prohibition brings flock of new names for illegal rum dispensaries in the county. And now it's the broken back. The central city has had its crawl in, not to mention the turning tub. It is in the turning tub, according to caption of police Al Rodway, who ought to know that they mix the alcohol, hot water, and coloring matter with a barrel stave, producing a fresh batch of nose paint every night. You look very confused. I am. <laughs> you raise nose paint. What? Okay. 
That is a common term for um, highly intoxicating. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like this clever. Across the city line in Manuka, there's a unique establishment known to the authorities as the Devil's Eyebrow. County police are likewise familiar with another so-called club up the valley, which travels under the strange conomen, the Blazing Stump. What? Okay, okay, okay. Blazing stump. Yep. The, the devil's eyebrow. Yep. Okay. And we're jotting these down. Because <laughs> they are incredible. They are. Okay. Okay, we're getting three more here in the next oh, sentence. All right. The red onion, the jumping cork, and the embalming club are all well known names to the local police. <laughs> the embalming club is my favorite. Yeah, that one's pretty. <laughs> Why the stump one? I don't know. I guess because it it, it does sound pretty elusive. (laughs) (laughs) Who would ever think? (laughs) Okay. But it remained for Lieutenant Albert Gleason, the night commander of the West Granton Precinct, to produce the broken back. When the telephone rang in the West Granton station the other night, a woman's voice poured forth an anxious complaint into Gleason's ready ear. (laughs) Gleason, who last week uncovered a hooch joint where a woman was using pure varnish to color moonshine, has been conducting a one-man search for the broken back ever since. How? Honestly, like, how did so many survive? (laughs) They would really just mix anything Uh, until... Yeah, like, how are we here right now? How? I don't. Yeah, probably. Yeah, of the dry folk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or people who didn't get alcohol with pure varnish mixed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The broken back is supposed to be somewhere in the Lincoln Heights section of West Granton. If luck is with him, Gleason expects to clean up the place within the week. As evidence of his belief that deadly alcoholic concoctions are being dispensed in some of the city's big crop of blind pigs. (laughs) How are you reading this? I'm trying my best. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. Lieutenant Gleason, while in the office of Mayor German yesterday, reported that two men have died. Another has been committed. Only two? Yeah. That's actually not that bad. I mean, I'm sure a bunch more have... Just unreported. Yeah. Okay. Well, that and or have serious medical issues. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another has been committed to the Hillside home, and one is now in Westside Hospital from the effects of booze consumed in a Hampton Street speakeasy. It was in this establishment that the police last week seized varnish, which was being used to dilute hooch. So, yeah, people were not having a good time if they got. Oh, they were at the the time they were having a good time. (laughs) They were. They were living life, but mm. there was a cost. There was a very high cost. Yes. The police did eventually find the broken back on Rundle Avenue, as reported on March 11th. In the speakeasy, they found two quarts of distilled whiskey, as well as a 10-gallon still, and coloring liquid, along with 200 gallons of mash. All of, of it what? Mash. mash. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All of it was destroyed. The name for the speakeasy became clear when it, it was reported that the entrance to the hooch-producing pit could be 
affected only by means of a trap door, which was concealed by a large dresser. Once in the pit, one was forced to stoop so far down in order to save his head from being smashed. Interesting. So it was just like a low pit hidden. That's where they made all the alcohol. Wow. Yeah. And you think about where all these... Well, I'm sure a lot of these buildings are no longer... Um, yeah, yeah, or have been uh, replaced by newer buildings. Yeah. So next we have a murder case. Ooh. Speakeasies in Scranton were not immune to violence. <laughs> On January 16th of 1930, Adolf Gregori shot and killed Nazarano Bernardi. Wow, that's an excellent name. Yes, it is an, <laughs> certainly wow. a name. Okay. In a speakeasy in Westside. It was believed to be the crime of passion because Berardi was said to be in love with Gregory's wife. What? He was staying with a couple when he first moved to Scranton, and local gossip said that he was seen showing displays of affection towards her. <gasps> Scandal. The crime was noted in the Scranton Times newspaper report, stating that the bullet hole could be seen in the wall of the bar room. Hmm. There was also a half-empty glass of red wine and two empty beer bottles, leading the police to believe that alcohol played a role in the crime. That's it? Yep. But they were the only two people in the bar at the time. Oh, I guess the other stroke. Witnesses described three shots being fired, one being shot from behind a curtain that stood between the bar and Gregory's kitchen because the bar was... Gregory had a house Mm -hmm. that was a double house. Okay. So he lived on one side with his family, and then the other side was an inn and speakeasy. Mm, Okay. So people would stay there. Okay. During the trial, Gregory confessed to the murder. He stated that he was enraged and half stupefied by drink when he committed the murder. (laughs) The police believe that no one else was present in the bar at the time of the murder. Gregory's wife, Mary, and his daughter, Rose, were both home at the time of the shooting. And when they heard the shots, they came to investigate... They were both called as witnesses during the trial, and Gregory eventually had his sentence suspended. Hmm. And that's where that ended. Oh, and that's it? Yeah. Okay. And where was this again? This was in Westside. Westside. Something else I found interesting going through all of the articles was that there were a lot of articles about people that had reported that people stole from their speakeasies to the police. What? So they would go to the police and be like, this person stole this amount of money from my speakeasy. Why? Why Why would you ever? I don't know, but they wanted their money back. Well. Mm. So there's that. Wow. That's... In an article in the Scranton Republican on February 23rd of 1930, it was reported that Magistrate John P. Kelly discharged five of the six men who were arrested after stealing $45 from a cash register in an alleged speakeasy. Mm. The last person who was the sixth of the six men was Peter Korish, who took the full blame for the robbery. And so he was arrested. He took the rap. Yep. Wow. So the next one is one of my favorite articles. Okay. And it was published in the Scranton Times on September 19th of 1930. And it's mainly one of my favorites because of the descriptions. Okay. So fair warning, there will be cackles. I have this feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Cackles a Bruin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Gerald Jennings was charged with violating dry laws as property at 1802 Cedar Avenue, but there was controversy over if it was actually a speakeasy or a private dwelling. Jennings' sister lived at the address, but it also had an old bar. Attorney Frank Coyne came to Jennings' defense by stating that, sure, there's a bar there, and you'll have to admit that it is an old, old bar. Been there since the days of the old steel mills and has never been moved out. The article then continues. The dry officers admitted that the bar was an ancient one, but they knew nothing. They said of brawny steel workers back in the 1890 or 1895, parking their burly forms up against it when they came from the mills with beads of perspiration standing out on their foreheads. The trial continued and coins quite descriptive. It is. The trial continued with Quinn stating that they arrested Jennings without a search warrant and without purchasing any alcohol. The police had found kegs and some whiskey in the cellar of the building. The case was continued until September 29th, but not before this exchange happened, which was at the very end of the article. One agent said he had found whiskey behind the old bar. How do you know it was whiskey? Attorney Coyne asked. I know because I've been drinking it for five years. Is that so? Remarked Attorney Coyne. That so, shot back the agent, and if you take a drink once in a while, maybe you'd feel different. And there the hearing ended. (laughs) End scene. (laughs) I just... (laughs) The fact that a prohibition agent is like, well, maybe you should drink some alcohol. Yeah, maybe you should, like, lighten up a little. The next one tells how prohibition agents weren't immune from violence against them, although I can't figure out in this article how at what point the dry agent was attacked oh because the article says he came out of the experience with bruises but no injuries but bruises are injuries yeah and also in the account it doesn't really make clear how he got the bruises it's i'm skeptical an interesting thing and it was published in the scranton publican on october 13th of 1931 bruises are the result I know. (laughs) So I'm just going to read the part of the article that is the testimony at the hearing, which describes everything that happened. According to the testimony at the hearings, three agents went to the speakeasy yesterday afternoon about two o'clock. One of the officers entered the place while his companions waited outside. The agent had bought a drink of whiskey and a glass of beer, testimony brought out, when he was asked why he was not at work by Joseph Schuster, who was alleged to have been behind the bar. Nonplussed by the unusual query, the agent hesitated to answer. In the meantime, his companions entered the establishment with the eboliometer. That was a device used to measure alcohol content at the time. Mm, okay. I don't know how it worked, but... And I think that's how you say it, so I'm hoping. Okay. Seems legit. Yeah. Okay. The interrogated agent then produced his credentials, as did the other officers. They laid the case containing the beer testing instrument on the bar and were about to make a test of the foamy liquid when Schuster pleaded with them to not arrest him out of pity to his wife and children. The next section is titled, Smash Whiskey Bottles. <laughs> okay. Hearing his pleas, the agent said Shusta's wife ran into the bar room and upon seeing the officer immediately began to scream. Still shouting, the agent said she began to attack the officer. Oh, that's where they got hurt. Oh, yeah. See? 
In the meantime, Schuster is alleged to have seized a pint bottle of liquor, which one of the agents had confiscated, and crashed it over the bar. Oh. He then cracked another pint bottle of whiskey over the radiator. Mm-mm. In his endeavor, agents said to destroy all evidence of alcoholic nature on the premise. Schuster spilled a gallon of alcohol on the floor. You can't hold me for this, Joseph Schuster was quoted later by the agents as saying as he destroyed the liquor. Mm. Attracted by the commotion in the barroom, five or six youths playing pinochle. Minding their own business. The classic game. Just playing the classic game of pinochle. And they heard clamoring. Which teenagers definitely still play. Yes. They hastened to the scene of the raid. They were ordered by one of the agents to leave the place with the notice that everything will be all right. Good reason. Yeah. Okay. See you soon. Let's go back to our game of pinochle. Commence. Yeah. <laughs> As the sounds of the fracas continued, men will be- even school children returning from classes were attracted to the place. Scores of them were reported as having dashed into the bar room and attacked the officers. So all these, like, apparently all of these people just like a horde of like second graders. <laughs> apparently. Champions. Yeah. Okay. The agent who made the purchases of intoxicant was driven into a corner. In self-defense, he grabbed a baseball bat and... (laughs) Where? 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 I don't know. And shouted a warning to his attackers. Mm -hmm. He had no occasion to use it, however, as the assailants failed to approach him within the range. (laughs) So if he was cornered... Yeah, but but he got a baseball bat. Okay. But they didn't close enough for him to use the baseball bat. Okay, I see. So then the article continues. Some of the teenagers that were there saying that they were playing cards, but they didn't have any... Not any card game. (laughs) Okay. Um, But they denied having anything to do with destruction of evidence or anything like that. Um, As they should. Yeah. And then the youth that was charged with... Grabbing the agent said he just asked them not to use the baseball bat, which apparently he owned. And that's why it was there. Okay. (laughs) This, the whole story. (laughs) No. Just so happy that his own baseball bat that he owned was propped in the corner where he um, secluded himself to. Well, I mean, they could have been playing baseball and then it started raining and they went inside to play cards. Alyssa. (laughs) No. No. This story is bogus. <laughs> um, another article that I found fun that I don't have here, but um, in Old Forge, there was a speakeasy in the back of an ice cream store. Oh. Which I thought that was fun. Do they give the name of the ice cream store? No. Oh. It was on Oak Street, though. So oh, it's okay. not one of the known ones that we know today. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. There was also an article about this poor man who was just trying to use a phone and he got arrested in a raid. What? And that's it? Yep. Freeze phone user who was caught in dry raid. Angelo Dowdy picked an unfortunate time to use a pay station telephone on the second floor of a building at 106 Penn Avenue a couple weeks ago. But U.S. Commissioner Jerome I. Myers corrected the situation this morning at a hearing. It turns out that there was a speakeasy on the second floor. And Dottie was at the head of the flight of stairs when a group of federal agents came up to stage a raid. 
The door of the speakeasy was open and there was nobody in, and likewise there was nothing of an intoxicating nature in the speakeasy itself. However, out in the hall, several feet from where the agents first saw Dottie, a half-barrel of high-powered beer was standing. They concluded Dottie had something to do with it and took him into custody. Can I interject? Mm -hmm. Referring to this map, Penn Ave has a plethora of speakeasies Mm -hmm. that he did not know... He could have known. I don't know. He but according to this, he was found that he had nothing to do with it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Dottie, through his attorney, J. Harry Morosini. Morosini is a good lawyer then. <laughs> for sure. Because, no. There is at least a dozen just in this one area. So, he told the commissioner this morning that he was a collector for a local furniture company and that he only had gone upstairs to use the telephone there being no evidence to connect him with the place or the ownership of the beer which happened to be in the hallway there was nothing to do but just charge him i'm giving you the squinty eye i know (laughs) i don't know seems fishy but yeah, okay. there was that one. Okay. And then this very last article is my favorite just for the account that it gives. So, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Agents forced way into popular oasis near Spruce Street. This was in oh. Scranton Republican on July 20th of 1931. Okay. Four federal prohibition officers smashed their way into a popular speakeasy in the 200 block of DuPont Court near Spruce Street yesterday afternoon and seized what the latter described as one of the choicest supplies of liquors confiscated in Scranton Booze Dispensary in some time. The establishment, variously known as the Smoke Shop and the Palace of Speaks, was the mecca for hundreds of thirsty, more than a score of whom were in the place at the time dry agents forced their entrance at 5.30 o'clock. Two dry agents lingered in the court awaiting an opportunity to enter during the usual late afternoon rush. They tried to gain entrance on several previous occasions and failed, but the agents of whom Robert R. O'Rourke, regional dry law supervisor, was one, were determined to raid the establishment. As they watched and waited, a youth came out of the entrance of the speakeasy. <laughs> was he pe- playing pinochle? <laughs> I don't think probably. so. Probably, though. Probably. I mean, pinochle. you never know. Jacks. Thank you, Jacks. Yeah, Jacks. Marbles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, sorry. He had hardly emerged from the place with a carton of beer in his hand. The when- kid? Yeah. Oh, the kid. Okay. When he was taken into custody by agents, rushed to the offices of the U.S. Commissioner Jerome I. Myers, less than a block away from the speakeasy, the youth was questioned. He gave his name as Joseph McGuire and his occupation as a chauffeur. Hmm. Questioning of McGuire, it was reported, revealed that he had purchased beer in the popular oasis. The beer was tested and was found to contain an unlawful percentage of alcohol. On this evidence and on the oath that the door of the alcohol prevails almost unceasingly in the vicinity of the place, the agents swore out a search warrant and started their raid. Officer O'Rourke entered the establishment only to find a second door blocking his path into the place. He pressed the buzzer and a head showed through a narrow aperture at one side of the door. Oh, that's classic. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the code word? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it this wouldn't is sound where- like that. It would be like, what's the code word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we do get quotes from what happened next. Okay, great. 
How about letting us in? O'Rourke asked. Sorry, I don't know you, <laughs> the man in the hole replied. Well, we're federal officers, O'Rourke declared. Oh, there, there's a reason. Sure, come on in. Showing his credentials. Here's a search warrant. That's too bad, the man answered and closed the door on the aperture. I really don't think that's what he said. That's too bad. It's too bad. No. Not so bad, O'Rourke said, and instructed one of his aides to smash in the door. Oh, Hulk Hogan is on the scene. The agent kicked a panel out of the door nearest to the lock. The agent then entered the place, ordered the score or more of patrons to beat it, scram, slaking their thirst at the bar to leave. So basically, yeah. Okay. They left, several of them picking up the change on the bar and the majority leaving without thinking of the silver. The man who denied entrance to the agents was arrested. He was arraigned before Commissioner Myers last night and gave his name as Stanley Stevens. Stanley. 435 New York Street. Stevens said he was the sole proprietor of the establishment. He entered $1,000 bail for a hearing on a charge of possession of intoxicants before the commissioner on Tuesday afternoon at 4 o'clock. This is where we get into the list of everything that was in the establishment. Oh, is it? Oh. Yep. So there's a lot. The yes. Oh, okay, Stanley. Let's do this. <laughs> in their exploration of the establishment, the agents found five and a half barrels of beer. Their contents were promptly emptied. The remainder of the intoxicants seized, all choice liquors, were removed to the government warehouse. The liquors, it was reported, consisted of 35 quarts of assorted whiskey, labeled Three Star Hennessy, Golden Wedding, and Burke's Irish, four cases of Golden Wedding in pint-sealed sacks, three five-gallon cans of alcohol, a dozen fifths of gin labeled Gordon's, and a quantity of champagne and cordials. Part of the liquor was found in a safe, which was unlocked. He was like the Al Capone. (laughs) He had a lot of alcohol in there. Wow. The liquor was described as being pretty good by one of the agents. Pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He said that most of it was cut three ways, but this division was quite above the ordinary cutting made into the present Prohibition era. It makes a pretty good drink, the agent said. What was it cut with? I would like to know. Who knows? That's not reported. That's also where the article ends. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. The end. Okay. Stanley is a pretty BA in my book. He... I just enjoyed the, that's too bad. That's too bad. (laughs) Was it really what he said, though? Who knows? too bad. Maybe. (laughs) It's really funny if it was, though. It's too bad. (laughs) So those are all the articles I have. There's a bunch more in the paper, but these were the ones I found most interesting. Well, they were lovely. And thank you for sharing them with me. Do you have any final thoughts? So many. (laughs) So, so many. Um, but I think I will keep some to myself. Okay. <laughs> use playing Pinochle. You know, <laughs> it's funny you should say because I actually have had some patrons ask about starting like a Pinochle mm-hmm. club. Um, so now I'm intrigued and maybe it would be in maybe inspired even mm-hmm. to um, read up on Pinochle and I should yeah from what I hear it's it's fun it is isn't it one of those that you have to like learn how to play it and then you're good once you know but mm. I think there's a lot of instructions I am I do excel in 500 Romy 
Yes. I am feeling I good love at that running. Game. I, I <laughs> you love running? Yeah. Not me. No. Um no, I'm I, I love Rami, so I don't know if it's similar in any way, but now I gotta I look know. it up. Yep. I gotta look it up. Well, this is where we're going to end it for this week. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or anything at all. Please feel free to email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or feel free to call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.